Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your Tome editor, Sam Dillon, and I am here to bring you exclusive 2014 Gen Con D&D audio. This is coming to you, just like in previous years, unedited and uncut. We hope you enjoy it, and if you like the show, please visit our Tome Show sponsor, Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And if you visit their site, please tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Rudy, I have a big problem. I can't find a place to buy or sell gaming products. You know, I had that problem, too. Then I went to my DM. He told me about NobleKnight.com. Isn't that one of those internet stores? They are, but they're also a brick-and-mortar game store. Since using Noble Knight, I feel great! I can buy D&D and other tabletop RPG products from any edition, even stuff that's out of print. That does sound pretty great. Just pretty great? Get this, Noble Knight has all that, at a discounted price. And with Noble Knight, I can even sell them my old gaming products I'm not using anymore. Oh, wow. I've got to check it out. You don't have to ask your DM if NobleKnight.com is right for you. We're pretty sure it is, since you're listening to a podcast about the minutia of tabletop RPGs. People who use NobleKnight.com experience joy, having more money in their bank accounts, and lots of awesome gaming sessions. Seriously, why haven't you checked them out yet? Jeff Greiner uses Noble Knight, so should you. Well, my life has changed. It sure is, buddy. Soon, all our lives will be changed. Nope. Okay. So, the topic of this panel is creating pulp adventure. If you're not here for pulp adventure, then you're lost. Um, Since I have a lot of tickets, then you are. My name is Ben McFarlane. Um, I am a freelancer uh, for Cobalt Press. I've also freelanced for Wright Publishing, who's a, a, another Pathfinder small press. I've freelanced for Paizo. Um, I have a, a, an adventure coming up in, actually, I think next week is released, called uh, Peril and Plunder, that I did with uh, three other guys over over there from their freelancing pool. And, <clears throat> and I've also done freelancing for Ars Magica, for Atlas Games. So I'm keep my fingers in a bunch of different systems because that's what I like. Um, and, you know, working currently on a project for Cobalt Press uh, that heads into a kind of a, a fantasy Africa analog. And a big part of creating that that project is examining, you know, we wanted to create a, a pulp, kind of a pulp setting for adventure. Um, you know, your standard adventure that you get for, for most Pathfinder games. But then what is it that makes, you know, for a pulp adventure? But that's my background. And that's the topic we have. Um, and for me personally, when I start talking about pulp adventure, um, and what I'll do is I'll talk about that for a little bit and then we'll take questions kind of thing. And then maybe I'll try and chatter some more and... Hopefully at that point, maybe. Hopefully Brian will have made it back by then. So not just me. It's less a panel and more lecture. It's not what I quite wanted. But, um, so when I look at at, <clears throat> at creating Pulp Adventure, I look at a couple different things. Um, one is the focus of the adventure. You know, are we, you know, Pulp Adventure tends to be less uh, rescue the princess or stop the horrible evil guy so much as like adventure for adventure's sake kind of thing um you know your sources for you know where where pulp is you're drawing your pulp inspiration um 
personally, I went to a lot of lot of different sources for Pulp Adventure. Um, I'm a huge Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, Fighting Men of Mars, John Carter of Mars type guy. Uh, I like I like that stuff a little better than the uh, Otis Alphabert Klein stuff, which is kind of funny. They're contemporaries, if you're unfamiliar. They both did basically Men on Mars series, but everybody knows Edgar Rice Burroughs because he did Tarzan too, which is you know kind of pulpy as well. Um, Conan, just Ari Howard stuff is is pure, and Conan's not you know Conan's not out for. For helping people so much as Conan's out for Conan, um, but along with it, you know, I like so there's that those those kinds of things. You got to draw your inspiration from those things. But there's parts of Pope Wright that we want to kind of pick and choose and 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 toss away. We want the horrible, you know, the horrible ruined city with white apes, right? Who doesn't want white apes? Is it? You know, it's it's almost not pulp if we can't have enormous white apes that eat people somewhere. I mean, if it's cameo or statue or something, there's everybody likes. All right, maybe it's just me. Um, but I find some of the '80s fantasy or sci-fi movies to be very pulpy. Um, Ice Pirates, right? Yeah. Flash Gordon, man, that's going back to the source there. Is it? I actually sat my son down this last week. He's eight, and, you know. I was like, "Hey, buddy, let me show." Somebody put up a picture of Brian Blessed on one of the feeds, and I, I just at that point I was like, you know, I had to get Flash Gordon and sit him down and be like, you know, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to. So I go to those kinds of things. There's a certain almost over the top aspect to pulp, right? But the part that we almost don't want to get into is there's there's some you know there's some not so nice portrayals of gender or race within pulp that it was 1920s and 30s, right? We we, we want to keep the good parts, but maybe take some of those other less, you know, thank you, uh, less, I guess, you know, now less appropriate aspects of, of, of the genre and, and set those aside, or, you know. I don't even think... You, know, you try not to even hat tip to those parts of it, right? Because that's as much as it is part of the genre. From then, you don't we don't need it as much now, or at least I've found that doing design for it. Um, so that's kind of those are like where I'm drawing sources, right? Going back to those books, going back to the movies, and finding the elements that you need. You want high adventure, right? It's lots of action in fantastic settings with you know goals that are. Pretty much for the character themselves, um, as opposed to, well, for Flash, it's, you know, save the Earth. But other than that, John Carter doesn't have a goal except for, you know, get to the girl. You know, um, save, you know, well, I guess now he then later has to, what, save all of Mars to turn on the atmosphere again. So it's not so much personal, right? it alternates. Because Conan's all about getting his sack of loot, right? Um so part of that is striking the right balance between those two or which kind of path down the pulp genre you want to go. Uh, and we're only 10 minutes in. I feel like I'm talking about... I feel like I'm rambling at you. Um, you know, I have my sources and those elements that you want to hit, elements we kind of want to discard. Um, the same token, you, you want to have your enemies almost over the top as well, right? 
you know, Ming the Merciless is, you know, it's in his name. He's merciless, right? The the Thoth Amon from from Conan, or you know, no, I'm sorry, Thoth Amon or Thulsa Doom, right? You go to the Conan of the movie. You're getting these guys who are big, overarching, over the top, but never turn into a snake. <laughs> never turns out well when you turn into a snake, right? Um, but. It, let, you know, I guess let's let's get some questions. What is your guys' questions about going to this? Because I've been in this now for like sixty thousand words for the last couple of months, so I'm, you know, let, let's get some questions. Figure out what you're, you're wondering. Um, well, I, I'm primarily a fiction writer, but I also do some work with games. And one of the things that I think about is apologize for being late. You left short. You're always alive. Hey, come on. With yes. Pulp, you, know, you want it to be like fun, and it's almost cartoony, but not quite. So, sure. what's like? How do you decide what's good over the top and what's way over the top? Like to the point where yeah. even the people who are in it for the pulp don't want to go there anymore. Like, what's a good balancing act? <laughs> we, I, I apologize for being late. I was just subjecting some players to the pulp of the Southlands, so it actually ties right into this. Yeah, we designed this delve to. For the Southlands project, I don't know if you talked about that. But, I, I have not. Um, that's going to be Cobalt Press's next expansion setting. And the direction we got was pretty much make it pulp, well, pulp adventure. And so we went over the top. And in, to highlight it, we did this delve that's, that's, going, that's being run at the con. And one of the aspects of it was I was like, well, what's more pulpy than unbeatable odds that you somehow beat? And so I had this kind of horde of giants attacking these people and the first playtest did not go well. Um, and, you know, the people got crushed because there's like 15 giants. And it's tricky because... Playtest. Well, there's part play, of it. Play te- it's part of it. But in terms of, like, setting, you need to give them seemingly impossible odds. And yet, at the same time, give them the way in which to, just, to defeat those odds. It's an it's a, it's a interesting balance. In this case, we used lightning ballistas and um, flaming bombards. But um, you, it still can go horribly wrong, as our playtest showed. Um, the trick is you don't, want, you don't want to do it for the players. They, they, or they don't, you can't give them the answer. Because no one, you know, you can't be like, it's impossible to do this unless you use this key. Because then it's boring. You have to set up, and I would suggest set up, multiple ways they could do it. Because as any of you who have done any game design know, if you... Give them the key; they'll become fixated on the feather that you added for no particular reason. Um, so, so giving them those, you know, a couple of routes, but giving them the kind of slightly over the top, and not to do it all the time. Whereas, yeah. like, okay, overwhelming odds is kind of one thing to look at, but then another one might be um, <clears throat> setting, I guess. Right? The 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 I don't know the the. No, it's the, lo- it's the lost city. The, right, the lost city you know. of dark basalt towers, right, that kind of stretches up around you, where maybe you're playing a little bit more, just a little bit of that, that horror, right, this ancient place that has fallen in, and now it's there's, there's wondrous things here somewhere, but there's also white apes in the balconies, or something, you know, there's unspeakable terrors in the shadows. And unbelievable wonders, but I mean, but were, you, were you asking more in the line of... Counterbalancing yeah. those, those events of... Overwhelming odds that they run into with smaller tastes, right? So that as they build up or as they leave from those encounters, like that encounter either yeah. sets the tone 
right? That, oh my gosh, now we know. Or end your campaign. This <laughs> is the play test. But, you know, or they build up to that, right? Because they face a smaller one or they face one or two or they see these guys at a distance. It's kind of, there's a lot of build up for that I've, I've found doing for the pulp. When was your question more directed toward setting design or encounter design? Because that's those can be two different questions. Sure. I think it, both. I mean, mm. I think I, I was primarily thinking of setting in just the way that you don't want to <coughs> overbalance to the point right. where the players almost don't... It's oversaturation. You know, like, yeah. you, right. you, know, no, I see what you're you, you want to buy in and you want to keep them there and you don't want to... So what, we said before, what I said before, is, I guess, could be aimed at more encounter design. In terms of setting, it, it's an interesting balance because you, you have to give them these over-the-top amazing things, lost cities and, you know, uh, fantastic people to talk to in strange locales. But if you give them too much, yeah. then it's, it's just like, oh, it's oversaturated. It's, you know, like, oh, another ruined city. Oh, another crystal spire. God, I've seen 20 of these. So um, I would suggest you need to. That's why in a lot of pulp fiction and, and pulp adventuring, travel becomes important because right. you intersperse the wonderment with somewhat mundane traveling. And while in a, in a, in a role playing game, a lot of times you, you're kind of. Hand-waving. Hand-waving, like, yes, you travel three days. Sometimes you, in, in a pulp game, you might want to slow that down a bit. I, I don't, I'm not going to say you should be like, what are you going to do the next ten minutes? Because, really, you What's, won't have any players. Who's on watch now? But, well, you do that if you have some white ape taken out. But um, you, you want to throw in some mundanity. You know, like, even, even a description of setting up camp for the night. And you can use that as an opportunity to kind of to describe the environment. You know, the bugs and or the... You know, the, the sense you're smelling. It doesn't and, have to be an engagement type encounter kind of thing, but to help, it goes back to the setting, right? We yeah. get some of the idea that this once was either something greater and has now descended yeah, you, into something terrible. You set camp or, in the ruins of, you know, the, uh, of just a lone stone wall even can invoke this this feeling of, of the lost or, or, the, or the abandoned that, that, that gives the players or readers or what have you the experience of rediscovery and that's kind of a hallmark of, of pulp is the, the the besides the adventuring part is the the we're finding things it's discovery oh, or, so, you're pointing at different people <laughs> sorry we'll get uh, you next pulp is a genre that crosses many genres mm-hmm. uh, what you know, flash gordon is very different than coding sure um so, and you kind of talked around this a little bit, but if you boil it down to its essential qualities, what is pulp? Is it a base club? I think it. I think it kind of. It, it kind of depends on on almost the, who you are in a way. I mean, I, I've talked to people about this, especially when I, I was doing this, um, and and some people, you know, talk about you know the kind of arrow flinty daring do the you know the swinging off chandeliers and the you know swelling music kind of thing. Other people talk about. The lost, you know, going to the new continent, or some people talk about these, you know, like the Flash Gordon, the rockets and the space and the, you know, the ray guns and, and what you said is true. It does cross a lot of genre, which is partly and why it's so attractive to people. And as a game designer, you can pull from all of those things. So I mean, for me, I I think when I think pulp, I, I, I kind of think of like Savage Lands. And I think, you know, uh, Doc Savage, who, you know, and the whole, you know, jumping through the jungle and, oh, it's the lost city of whatever, kind of Indiana Jonesy, you know, King Solomon's Mines. It's kind of the images that pop into my head. 
But I mean, you might have you, it might pop in you know different things in your head. For me, it's it's high action, right? There's going to be a lot more problems solved by punching people in the face than negotiating in backroom political deals. It's going to be exploring, you know, so it's going to new places, meeting new people and punching them in the face a lot of times. Uh, Being punched in the face by those guys when I find out that the power levels are immensely different than what I'm accustomed to. Um, And it's, it's also the wonder of, I guess, the wonder of ancient things that are new again. Right, that this is the real source. So it's the high adventure. It's the it's the strange new places. You know, it's the I guess game or I guess uh, you know adventure tourism almost in a way. And then it is the the strange new twist on some some kind of you know I guess technology magic or you know there's the wonder of something. Whether it's the magic or it's a lost technology, there's something. Or it could even be like you know the lost diamond of whatever. Right. Or there's the, there's yeah. some element of of just pure. While the setting itself is fantastic and awe inspiring, there's also some kind of wonder of of discovery, be it a knowledge or a, a place or a trade route or something. Those are the three elements I think to me that are most embodied yeah. by. If it, you can get in, if you've got the kind of group that's good with it, um, if you can work in uh, a love interest. Into that table or, or create. That's that often kind of awkward to role play. I mean, it can be, can be, but if your table get it, that is a definite you might want to hand pulp that element, right? Of you know some kind of interaction where they establish not only is they have they come to this new locale and are they discovering these new things, but they are establishing a, a relationship with some aspect of it that then ties the hero to that place. It's a, it's all, yeah, I mean, on that, it, it's, it's interesting because if you look at a lot of old, especially the classic pulp movies, inevitably what you see is while the explorers or adventurers or whatever are at, fascinated with the things they're seeing, the people they're encountering are equally fascinated with them, which is why you tend, inevitably have the lost jungle princess who falls for the plucky head of the adventuring group or sometimes it's the best friend and then things happen but you know it's you get that back and forth and and in a game design that's great because it basically gives you a shill on the inside who can say who can say what's that and why are you here and you don't have to it gives you a, a, a foil to not only ask the players questions about their goals because sometimes your players goals are often indecipherable even to themselves and getting them to verbalize it can help you, you know, like down the road, you can say, oh, I got to add that tempo because apparently they think they're going there. Um, or it also gives you someone who can explain what's going on now. You know, the lost princess or the jungle princess can say, well, the big idol, oh, that thing, oh, well, that's blah, blah, blah. The white apes always bring their sacrifices there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm next, you know. Yes, that's right. And it truly is an honor, you know. <laughs> Can't wait. And then you. Well, just for the sake of argument, I'd like to push back a little bit on the idea of um, you brought up earlier jettisoning those elements of pulp that we find uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, okay. What's up with that? And I think you I'm, know, with, there, so much of pulp is is inextricably bound up with with colonialism and you know, European <laughs> yeah. attitudes towards non-European cultures and things like that. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying that I think I there's a way to accommodate that 
in a way in, in such a way that it, it acknowledges the problem doesn't lose the 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 high adventure aspect of exploration and encounter with other cultures it, and yet and yeah. yet and yet uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry feel shame it's, well, it's funny it's like, you know we, we yeah. struggle with this in, sure. like I play a lot of Call of Cthulhu and sure. we're talking about a game set in the 20s yeah. Uh, informed by a, a writer who was deeply racist, <laughs> you know, it's what? the way it is. Um, yeah, you know, there's, right. there's there's period sexism, there's period racism, all of that, and yet we find we find ways to use the adventure to you know explore and inf- those those aspects. Of it. It's it's, it's I very qualify. Yeah. I'll qualify, I guess, to put in with that. If I am creating, if I'm playing. Cthulhu by Gaslight, if I'm playing you know, Roaring Twenties, or if I'm playing noir, I mean, I'm a guy who sat down and did a, like a, a noir, fantasy noir anthology, right? Mm-hmm. There's this whole se- and I, you know, there's a whole section on running a bar slash brothel place. That's not that is Explain not how. that is not the conversation I want to be having with my daughter later on about, you know, sure. sweetie we can sit down and have this place, but it's yeah. appropriate to a noir Grim and gritty noir setting, but I, but, I, it's, it's, but yeah. when you're creating the adventure at this point, I guess the better thing to say is have the conversation with your group, figure out what level. If you're playing the 1920s and you want it authentically 1920s, you know, community, you know, setting that has that, then awesome. Yeah. But I think you put your finger on it. It's, yeah, it's right. very. It's interesting you bring this up though, because we had this moment during this. We're designing the Southlands. It's basically Africa, and. We're two white guys yeah. designing an African analog fantasy setting. So there, there came that point, and because we're older guys, where we're going, who the hell are we to be designing basically African kingdoms? Not, you know, and, and, and so we, we got nervous and added a, a, a sidebar basically saying, look... You can most of the people you can you, you can you can be whatever skin color you want and be in this whatever area you want. And to his credit, our ed- Wolfgang Barr turned to us and said, "Look, no. if you're going to write this thing, you oh. got to go all in. Yeah, there's no hedging." And it's not to say that yeah. we haven't like I mean certainly myself as far as like because I've, I've done actually two other books for different publisher that are still like an edited like they're in editing right now. My my bookshelf for Africa is redonkulous. Like I have honestly probably. 40 titles of different stuff from like Carthage to Ethiopia to Great Swahili. I mean, I'm, you've got to dive into the source material. For and I've seen thing. The Lion King. <laughs> He's a jerk. <laughs> but, you know, we did have to get to a point where it's like, you know, this is what I want you to do in Chase and, and, and own part of it. And I think that, like I said, it's got to be. And, and be when dealing with, when dealing with uncomfortable Material like you know, it could be slavers, it could be prostitutes, it could be anything. It, it has to, you can't just throw. It kind of goes back to, to to what you were saying, where you can't shovel this stuff in, into the setting so it's all that's all you have because then it's just the shot. It's almost shock value. You don't if it's too much of it, then it becomes useless. Yeah. You need to use it carefully. Like if you're going to have a one group who's enslaving another group or or something or making them into it's a temples season. prostitutes or something you need to you need to have it for a reason it's a seasoning that yeah. needs to be used with purpose and hopefully for for a specific design purpose you know one of the one of the hallmarks of 
my day job is I'm a screenwriter, and one of the hallmarks of screenwriting is if you have a scene that doesn't serve to advance the story, cut it because there's no point in having it there. And it's the same thing with this. If you have something that's as powerful as an emotionally evoking, evoking, sorry, as evocative, evocative thank you, as a, I'm, I have a source, as a, as I, as the term, as the things you're talking about, either or, or racial or sexual or what Lies have you, it, it's a tool for you to use and use it wisely because you could, it's, it's like a limited in your quiver. The first time you use it, the players are you, you get the most mileage out of it. Yeah. After after that, it becomes oh yeah they, they're colonial or oh yeah those are those slaver guys and the shock value is gone. That goes back to your point yeah. on how do you keep it pulp without. I think you were next, and then Nana, and then we'll get you. We'll get you. Um, actually, just to answer your question, there is something I learned from my samples. Give the players an emotional connection. Okay, it's those slavers that kidnapped the chief's daughter that was born to protect. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Emotional connection is always great. It's often hard. Yeah. In, a, in a, especially in a role playing game to connect your players emotionally with the material, and especially when. If, if you have a, a setting, like with the Southlands thing, if you have a setting, if you the characters are starting a campaign there and they're from that area, then it's sometimes easier because you can kind of have them incorporate that into their backstory or their where they're from or what have you. But if they're visiting, the way to, to do it. But that becomes yeah. that becomes more of a whole setting thing than a pulp. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's more of a design, you know, designer or campaign management. But build, building the emotional connections are, are the best way to do it. Emotional connections, man. That's a for me as a designer. That's a that's a holy grail. Of a yeah, if you can get a, if you can get a player to care, awesome. That's that's that, then I'm like you know I don't even care at that. I they destroy whatever storyline I've got. But the minute I, I've got them going, yes, I really want to figure out what that was. Or we have to we, we have, have to save her because you know this. she's a great you know she's our friend. If, you, know, you know that way. That's where I want to drop golden. the mic and just leave the table. I think uh, you had a question. Yeah, it's going back to what is pulp. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I really like is um, the the puzzle or the uh, the thing that gets solved that leads to the adventure, right? It yeah. Might be the painting, which everyone thought was just a portrait, but then you figure out actually if you follow the outline of the painting, it's actually a map. Or the medallion, yeah. which half of it those is are great foils. Known, and yeah. uh, then someone comes up with the other half, and suddenly you find out it leads to the lost. Puzzle, yeah. Puzzles, puzzles are, are are great. Are puzzles and things like that maps. Are all those are great device foils, and you're right. It's, it's a hallmark of pulp. I mean, it's like you know, it's the treasure map. It's the the strange cube that they realize. It's it's the staff of Ra that beams down so they can find the Holy Grail. Or, and they not the Holy Grail. Don't they, have yeah. the right. They don't have the other half of the amulet. Right. What's on that guy's hand, right? Um, I mean, those those kinds of elements are are classic, and they're they're excellent to use. The trick is is to do it in such a way that the players don't see it coming. Because if, if, you, if you're like, you get a map in the mail, or, you know, your uncle leaves you a map, it's, you're pretty much going, I, as the game master, feel that this is important for you to use. They're, you know, it, it, it's less magical than them having some unrelated adventure and finding some... Laying that foundation. Yeah, finding some treasure chest and, you know, the, oh, we... Dig through the treasure chest, and then finding something hidden in the lining of the whatever, or the they yeah. they've gotten into you know the they've gotten into a, a I guess a feud with the local thieves guild, and and when they take out the guys who who tried to ambush them on the street, you've you've laid some of the 
you know, the pulp setting artifacts in their treasure. And I'll throw this out for free. I had this great idea to use in a campaign I never have, and if you, anyone wants it, they can. I always thought it would be great to have someone find treasure, and, and maybe one coin is, gold coin is different than the other ones, and somehow if they research that coin, it can lead, it can be like a foil to something else. How do you keep them from throwing that thing away? That is the worst possible. Here's the thing. I read a great... And we'll grab you next. I saw this one of these great, a great. I read this great article once talking about uh, mystery writing in adventures. And whoever was writing it made this point that if you spend hours and days crafting this amazing mystery where the clue is here, and in describing the room, you mention that there's a blue door here, they will spend all of their time here for no particular, and 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 they will ignore that. What you do is you do more than one. Yeah. And like the second they find, the second, th- yeah, it's like the whole rule of three. It, it, once they find the first one, you quietly push the other ones right. aside, and those are all, right. oh, those are just meaningless. Because in the mystery yeah. novel, you know, the, the boy who inherits the home that has the yeah. painting, which is going to lead to the mystery, he doesn't ever decide it's worth 20 gold to sell it, right? Right. You know, he, he's wandering around his house for several chapters until the painting starts to fascinate him and he figures it out. But players often, you know, if you give them mystery objects... Half the time it just gets right. But what what's you, the GP value? Can I just sell that? What you do? What where, you, one where, way to do it is it's an old Raymond Chandler uh, advice: is when the plot starts to lag, have a guy kick in the door, and if someone else wants it, the players will want it now too. Now they want it bad. Exactly. Right. Or hire them to steal it themselves. It right. suddenly becomes why does this guy want? And that this gets you meaningless painting. But and then you got to lay a few more, right? Because sometimes they'll go, "Oh, I stole it from here." We'll sell it to the other guy. We'll make this. Now we can go back to, I don't know, figuring out why they're giant rats in the sewer. Yeah, you could spend almost an entire campaign trying to get them to start the adventure you want them to start. And honestly, there's times where they just just won't do it. In which case, you go, all right, sewer exploration. Here we go. You know, and... Giant rats again. But but if you keep... Players are just probably just about as dumb as game masters are, to be honest. We're all oblivious in various different ways, and... But if you keep throwing them in there, eventually they'll re- they'll they'll latch onto something. And no matter what they latch onto, if you if if you've done it right, you can tweak that into the thing you wanted them to do anyway. Right. The GM maybe just not get attached to a particular object. Right. Exactly. The special object is, is whatever they eventually latch on. And if you have if you do create some sort of amazing Rubik's cube thing that unfolds into a map, and you really want to use that, don't have that be the thing they find have something else lead directly to that. So whatever they pick up, whatever dangling thread they happen to latch onto, that's the one that leads to the cube. And then you have to, and especially with pulp, I think, you have to really be, you can't be railroady at all. You have to be ready to grab anything that they latch onto and then guide it to what you want them to do. Or hope that they would eventually decide they'd like funnel, to do. Funnel them. Funnel? Is that what we're, the term we're using these days? Well, you want to create the options and say, okay, we're going to get over here. Eventually, my hope is that I will take you to the ruined city of the White Apes. Eventually, so I'm going to have to see a few different ones, and we'll. Does anyone anyone watch the new Doctor Who? I mean, it's a tough room for that, but uh, you know, <laughs> Moffat talks about how he creates because you know that show. A lot of times, you're going you, something will happen. You'll be like, oh my god, he's referencing three seasons ago, one minor thing that meant nothing at the time. The, he doesn't plan that out in advance. He talks in an interview about he leaves random hooks that don't go anywhere. And then later, if he needs a hook to, to latch onto back in three seasons ago, he'll find one that vaguely fits and go that connected to that. In hindsight. Right. 
And you can do something similar with adventure design in, in, in the way we're talking about in that, yeah, you've left hooks all over the place. No matter which one they pick, it leads you the thing that you've, are, you want them to do. And maybe they're, you know, relics that are coming back from a sailing expedition or a The, the lost ship- thing in the attic or... Uh, uh, yeah, the picture or a shipwreck or, you know, a letter from a, from a friend that took forever to be delivered that mentions something. But yeah. you got to lay out a few of them. Um, I think, I think you did, we get, did we get Anna? Oh, I already answered. You said the same thing. All right, cool. I think uh, man in the hat. And you can foreshadow it even. And just with the example with the coin, if you know that you're going to have event A be the thing that makes the players go, huh, that seems odd that they want your you know, coin, you foreshadow it by something minor happening with it beforehand. For example, they have these coins. They try to spend it at the bar, and the barkeep goes, I don't know what that is. We don't take those. And they, then the players go, oh, okay, they put it back in their pocket. Then when their place is ransacked and they some, find that somebody's looking for that coin, they're like, why were they looking for a coin? Oh, I had this weird one. Foreshadowing is always a great way to ease the... Because if, if you just like throw it in their face, yeah, they'll realize you're, you think it's important. But easing them into it, it they think it's their idea. Yeah. And is trying to either subtly or not so subtly obtain that item from either the, the player characters or some of the player characters. No. And so they send shadowy figures around right. this old mansion of, you know, well, why are they making this offer to buy the house when all they want is the painting and stuff like that. And that brings up a, a great point about pulp as not only as in, in terms of adventure design, but also as, as a genre, is you need to, when, if you're launching into a, a, a pulp adventure or story, Make sure your bad guy already has a plan right. because they have one, and it's really you know and you need yeah I mean a lot of cases you, you still, need a great bad you guy. have a you have a, a there, I mean more than almost any other genre there is a big bad well and usually lots of little bads leading up right. to the big bad you know but there is there is yeah. and he has a plan yeah. Sure. Yeah. The mystery, the crime, cult, which can include the supernatural and but it's just one more. Yeah, and and in a story like that, in a noir story, or even a like gumshoe kind of a situation, you know, whoever the 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 foe is, the bad guy, they still have their plan, and, it, and usually it's the. The detective stumbles into it, you know, he doesn't mean to, but now he's in it, and he's now going to figure out what's going on because they've wronged him or someone's hired him or whatever hook you use to, to get him into the story. Um, but 
I mean, the, what, what, out of curiosity, like, those of you who do kind of try and go for the pulp games, how many of you are more fantasy? Okay. How many are more, I guess, sci-fi, right? Flash Gordon? Okay. And then there's, like, the, and then there's the plucky, hard-boiled detective-y gumshoe right. guy. I guess almost of a Cthulhu. And there's, yeah, Cthulhu Cthulhu's, like, kind of a mix of you know, yeah. horror but, slash. Or I guess modern-ish. So it looks like more fantasy sci-fi, but yeah. I think it'd be challenging to do a modern pulp, like a today pulp, without... Yeah. Sphere was an attempt at that. Like, yeah. And you tell me whether you thought it was successful or not doing it. I mean, it was. It just, it's just it's hard to get that level of... Wonder. Yeah. Or I, I, the great term is a liminal society, which is a great, liminal is a great word because it usually meant... a, situ, a They used to use it in terms of the Old West because it was... People would believe, used to believe a lot of different things about the Old West, and it was because it was such a liminal society that people would believe that right. crazy things were happening because it seemed like it seemed plausible. And it's hard to do that in a very modern, like you know, if you Paul Burbank would be you know challenging. I mean, you could do it. What was that? Oh yeah. Oh Matt Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. The, the detective. The detective story makes it easier. Dresden, sort of. Yeah, Dresden. Dresden. But Dresden still has his the fantasy. If you took out the supernatural and you just did, you'd have a detective story is really what you'd have. You'd have Spencer for Hire. You'd have, well, not the TV show, but the book. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 That's a good one. Yep. Yeah. Right, but it still has, but it, and it has the wonder because it still has, you know, what effectively are monsters. Right, and it's and it's brilliant because yeah, the pulp tends to have really big beasts. Okay, that brings up something else that I I notice a lot in pulp that I like, and Jurassic Park has it is the the characters you don't mean to be there, right? Uh, oh. Yeah, you know, pulp has two kinds of characters: the the expert character who comes out of the shadows, the archaeologist, the detective. Yeah. But then a lot of the characters are like, hey, I'm a football player and I'm on another planet, or we have to get I'm out of here. So yeah, I'm the plane that crashed. Yep. Uh, he was the last good quarterback the Jets had. <laughs> Technically, he's still a quarterback. Yeah. And, and if you're writing a story, you know, I see how that works. But if you're trying to put it in a game, how do you deal with the the character that's just thrown in? It's not like my first level commoner suddenly is going to be able to save the planet. It depends on it depends on the, the makeup of your group in terms of in, in terms of not setting design, but actual like uh, campaign design. If you if they're all I'm going to call them survivors, but if they're all, you know, accidental, accidental heroes, yeah. then it's easier because certainly you could have the plane cra- ship crash on the planet or, you know, the ship, the you know, only survivors, shipwreck right. or something. And they have to now trek across the dark continent to get to wherever. That's There's some of that, I guess, uh, actually in uh, what is it? Uh, pitch, pitch Black. Yeah. Right, yeah. That group there, right? Those are and that, all. Actually, that's a great example of what I was going to say because if it's a mixed group, then... Hopefully, the person who wants to be there or is in it to intentionally be there rises to the front of the group as the leader. Because if they don't, then it's really weird. Because you'd have a guy, you'd have the leader of the group going, "Well, we got to get the hell out of here," and the other guy's going, "No, I'm okay." And, and I think with all this that, that we're talking about here, it comes back to a, a very important point: is there's a lot of group communication that goes into doing this right. You know, there's a lot of sitting down to figure out what level of of these pulp elements do we want to have in terms of. Of the you know the less safe. it'd be hard to surprise your group with yeah this. this is this is not one of those ones I think the more we get we don't see it as much when we're doing the writing and the design but as game masters and creating your game for yeah. it 
really, this is, you don't surprise everybody with a, hey, it's pulp night. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like, you, yeah, you just got back from White Plume Mountain, but now. Oh, right. I mean, you got yeah. I mean, to lay the hooks. You got to talk yeah. to the group, figure out, you know. Well, it'd be like surprising your group with a murder mystery or a political drama when they were just came out of the dungeon. If you throw a political drama in there, they're going to be like, I'm going to hit it with a sword. <laughs> you know. I guess related to this is, um, Pope, for me, a lot of it is, you know, people are out of place finding out that they're able to do something. Yeah, it's a fish out of water kind right. of a thing. Yeah. Sure. And uh, players tend to consider themselves experts, right? You, you don't often get a player <laughs> who's like, you know, my my bard explorer has shown up someplace, and I'm I'm worried I'm out of place. I'm not, you know, they're they're pretty much I'm yeah. gonna go there, and I'm pretty sure I can handle. It could be system, but yeah, certainly for more of it, you know, people design their characters a lot of times in the modern modern role play style is you make you, nobody really. Designs a generalist anymore, I think. But there's ways to the ways there's ways to do it. There's ways to because I think what you're saying is you're worried about doing a situation like that and have your players being fully confident in their own abilities. The way you get around that is, and it's challenging, but the way you get around that is you have to tailor fit certain scenarios to make like the bard character you're talking about. Yeah, he knows all of his abilities, so you slap him with a disease or a something will happen that is beyond his skill set. And it, it can be challenging with a group, especially because yeah, he might be like, "Oh, what am I going to do about this disease?" And the cleric's like, "Got it for you. You're good." Solid. You know, and then you know, kind of cuts out any kind of worry. But doing something, and this is where some move, where pulp is great because you move outside the rules. You can't. Right. Sometimes you just can't follow the rules of game design. Like yeah, the book might say nothing about creating a magical plague or a your, your paladin is immune to all diseases. Well, not so much now. Right. This is, but you've got to be willing to break some of those at least within. But it's, design. but you got to be careful because you, you don't want your player to lose confidence in you as someone who's gonna. If they think you're not gonna obey the rules, why are they bothering to game with you? Because then they ha- they, they that goes back to the yeah, communication. They feel, like, they feel like they feel they don't know where to stand, and if they don't, and while that's sort of the feeling you want them, you want them to feel unsettled, but you don't want them to feel unsettled with the rules. Right. But you can do it, and and I would suggest. Moving something slightly outside the rules, and that and and if you do it that way, you don't do it all at once. Like if you had four players, if you hit them with it slowly, then they can go, "Well, there's stuff in here we don't know about, and we've never seen before," and that's the feeling you want. This follow up on that just a little bit. Pulps is a short form mostly. Yeah. So, so stories are a singular hero, and as you were getting at, fallible and from this hat before he ever succeeds, or she. So, are you building situations, knowing you've got party dynamics rather than individual heroes, to humiliate the party, or are you just counting on the GMs to well the player characters have their own mishaps along the way and let that count as that? I think that that sort of feel. I see. I see what you're saying. I, I think that. In terms of a setting design, like right now we're doing the setting thing, we're not in, we're not thinking about that specifically. But in terms of like an adventure design, because you're right, pulp started off as dime novels. I mean, they're supposed to be short. I think you should never try to humiliate your players or your care or the characters. But you know what I'm getting? Yeah, right. They should fail. Set up yeah. setting up yeah. failures. And, and you know the way you do it is you you, you tie it to the villain. Because you let he has to, it's almost like you have to let he has to win before the heroes can rise up 
and finally defeat him. And it's a minor victory leads to a bigger victory. Right. But, yeah. There's a difference between humbling the heroes. Yes. Yes. Right. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. And that kind of goes to those points of certain encounters, right, that are way over the top in terms of, of their challenge rating. You know? When if you think of if you think of the hero, like uh, Campbell's hero's journey, which is, you know, a kind of archetypal uh, story development, there com- comes a point in the story where the worst possible thing could happen does. And the true hero is the one that rises from that and is able to carry on. And that's a very pulp element. The, you know, the princess is taken, your buddy's killed, your the evil guy is going to take over everywhere and he's set off a volcano. But if you and you know, yeah, you could go home, but the true hero, especially the pulp hero, is going to pull himself off, shake off the dust and figure out what to do next. With the people that, you know, that he doesn't have well, but that he doesn't have any other investment in what he's developed himself. Right. right, you know, he's not from here. This isn't his fight. Right, and it's and it's. But you're right. It's it's, and I, I think the, the gentleman in the back hit on it exactly. You're you're humbling them. You really they have to realize that they could lose because I think a lot of players, um, especially in a more standard D and D game, are like, I could die, but I'm not going to lose. But the mechanical yeah. part of it, if I may. yeah, you're writing for Pathfinder with well, about thirty character classes now. Um, how do you anticipate? Yeah, it is. Situations that you're I think to... I think it's 162 actually yeah, yeah. classes, but um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I, I do. I, I don't think there's a mechanics that lets you do it specifically, I, and it's it's going to be very specific to what is whatever story you're doing. We, we you have to That's you have to, you, you have to leave yourself yeah. some room, right? You can't make it fully defined. We've got. Like when we're doing some of these things, we don't come out and say this is completely what the bad guy is, right? We talk about some of the powers, or you talk about what their their focus kind of is. But do we come out and say this particular bad guy is an oracle with, uh, you know, with sorcerer levels? No, oracle sorcerer levels. <laughs> no, I mean I, I think I think to, to me, just follow up on that real quick. I, I think you also don't want to say determine ahead of time. Like maybe at the beginning of the campaign, the players are going to be humbled in X in, in the in X Y and Z, because then you're railroading. Then you're basically saying there's no way they're going to avoid that situation. Instead, what I would recommend is you look at your villain and you look at what he wants, and and once you get the players aimed at stopping him, you ask yourself this question: What do the players want, and what is the worst possible thing the villain? Could do, could do, or what is to the, to, thing, they to the thing they want? Then do that thing at, at the appropriate time. But it, if it's, but you got to be careful. You can't say they want to preserve the egg of blah blah blah, yeah. and you can't have them destroy it because then you know Maybe he could steal it. it. Well, if he has it, then you know we have to protect the beautiful painting that we've been hired to protect yeah. by the rich guy. By, by the, the rich, boy. by the rich by the boy, who's... by the rich, yeah, by the by the boy. He's like, I don't know why I like this picture, but you have to protect it. Have the bad guys. The bad guy's ultimate victory is getting this painting, right? So he steals it. He gets it. Then the players are like, "I failed, but I but I can redeem myself." And redemption is an important pulp element as well. Get this oh, yeah. and then I, I, I think, and it sort of touches on a little bit what you had brought up with the idea of mechanics and how that how I think the, the choice of game system um, matters here, and and the complicity sure. of sure. the players. Um, I don't know this for a fact. I'm, I'm just what I observed is that 
uh, systems that are a little more narrativist rather than simulationist in their in their ethos um, invite players to to participate in telling that story where yeah you know what would be really yeah. funny is if I fell on my face here they, they, they certainly have more hooks they have more mechanics to do it but it goes back to what we were saying there's, you need, yeah, it's, there's it's a the, lot of communication there's some GMs need. that are just not aren't, aren't comfortable doing that and there's some players who aren't comfortable doing that either and it's and I think we all know that pulp is not exa- it can be the, a very easy theme to use but it also has its own challenges I mean if you have a group that's not doing it you know, is not into it, and you, or you have a GM who's not willing, or is not into it either. It, it's, it seems silly to do that. Um, I mean, to, what you're saying, and what the other gentleman was saying, it's it's it. You have to stay on. You have to keep things vague and you're almost in your own mind. Don't predetermine what's going to happen, because as we all know, players are unpredictable. Keep in mind a. You vaguely know you want to humiliate them, and you know what the bad guy humble. You want you want them to eat crow is basically it, and and you know what the vi- yeah, and you know and you know you know what the villain wants. So and just keep your eyes open for opportunities to bring those two things together. But I think players can also be counted. I'm sorry. I think players who genuinely want to play in a pulp the right kind of players. Yeah, exactly. Are going to be complicit, man. And if you get if you get those players, bribe them to stay. Yeah. Because if you have a player that's willing to... you got a man on the inside. Yeah, because half the time you can go get a sandwich. They'll role play by themselves. I mean, you don't even need to be there. Um, just from a story standpoint, um, I feel the players need to see that their characters are being challenged because otherwise yeah. it gets boring. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, Certainly. I'm going to walk into the dungeon and I'm going to see if can roll a, can roll a two Yeah. 3.5 tumble. It's like after oh, a certain point, right. yeah. why bother? Uh, if you go in there and he says, you know, uh, say that, you know, the fighter's going to run up against something he's never run into before and nobody knows what it is, play up the mystery. Play that's, that's setting those smaller bits that build up mm-hmm. to then your over the top. Yes, but you also want to make sure your players don't think you're crapping all over them either. Yeah, you can't be like, oh no, you can't, you can't disarm traps anymore. And they're going to be like, well, I got this other game I want to get to. You know. Well, and that goes to kind of what I was saying before about bending the rules a little bit. You don't want to you don't want to bend them so they break. But like, remember when I'm old enough to remember this? Remember when traps were just there's one trap, and then somewhere along the line, I don't even know who someone was like, you know, you could have layered traps. That's the kind of thing. Like, if players are going in there expecting one trap, and all of a sudden there's a two of them, and if they don't do two checking, they don't check twice, sets off the other one. Then they're on their toes because that's unexpected yet still somewhat within the rules. Oh, is that Grimtooth? Yeah. That was a... Yep, yep. Hang the back there. And at the same time, regarding the ancient traps and things like that, there's not a reason why you can't show up the abilities of your players beforehand, too. Yeah, sure. So if you have this, you know, specialized road and I can disable, you know, any trap, the first, you know, lost city of 
white apes that shoot out of volcanoes that they go to. Ape shooting volcano. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a solid trap followed by spikes, and then, you know, you've got some natives hidden mm-hmm. behind the walls that are shooting poison darts. Just make sure what name Yahweh, what letter Yahweh starts with, and yeah, exactly. stop. And but when they finally run into a place where they're trapped, the state work goes, guys, I don't know how this works. That gets their attention because you've already set up. Exactly. Like, this guy's good. You could also use scale too. I think you know we we're dealing with some larger creatures in in this campaign setting, and it, it just occurred to me, you know, giant sized creatures would set would it would. Create giant-sized traps, and if you have a halfling or a kobold rogue who's like, I just can't reach it, <laughs> or you know, I mean, <laughs> but and also the, the the discussion of setting, you know, using the setting as much for for setting your pulp mood is that there could be w- triggered, you know, traps as they are entering. Where you know, as I always like to joke, sometimes your parties. You know, purpose is just to act as a very complex treasure delivery system, right? I've got a set of, you know, I've got an order of cloaks of resistance and plus one swords that need to get to the third level of this dungeon. Uh, could you just take them and die along the way? And and so you've got, you know, oh, there's the skeleton laying, you know, with the set of spears through its chest. Um, so you can use that kind of thing. So now they start to get, oh, there's a jet of flame. We can see there was a scorching, scorch marks on the floor, and he do, he must have, do, you know, dived over that only to get yeah. caught by the spears. Mood, though, mood, though, is an interesting pulp element, too. Like, I mean, let's take gumshoe stuff or the hard-boiled detective thing. It's very hard to get your players to stay in that space because half the time they want to make, you know, Monica galaxy, times. galaxy quest quotes in the middle of whatever. I mean, and you, you can't be... I tried this at one point. I tried. I had some game, and I really was. I got started getting really annoyed that my players weren't sticking in this, you know, hard-boiled detective mood. And I realized that you can't force it. You can you can use descriptive language. You can kind of be like, guys, you know, we don't need to talk about you know Walking Dead right now. We can play the game. But if if they're not if they're not going for it, change the mood. And then get back and try to get back to it. If that's your goal. Yeah, if that's your goal. If we got a few minutes, I want to make sure. Just kind of overcap stuff we're talking about. So it's, you know, there's, first and foremost is, you know, talk with your group. Get them on board with you. And you can. Realize you're going to be setting a lot of hooks that include those elements that, you know, you consider for a And don't get, don't get wedded to the first, right. le- first rank of hooks. Give yourself. If you have an important hook, have it as the second layer. Fo- you know, give yourself a, a volume of fire, so to speak. Um, you know, and look at the elements. List would help. <laughs> Lists. Following the fire, I don't know why what they would do with fire itself. I mean, it's hot. And... Lots of fire and shooting. Oh, I'll get you. Volume of fire. Uh, you know, take a look at those elements about the set or about the pulp genre that you like. You know, is it the high adventure? Is it the exploration? Is it the high action? Yeah. You know, and that's part of the discussion, right, with the group. And then, I guess, you know, well, then- you're going to them need to put in the time to. And I, I think and importantly, to build that foundation. Make sure, and when you're designing, especially plot, or I guess for encounter design, it's or adventure design, it's you know the, the through line of, of the adventure. Make sure you have a strong villain, because the be- the best thing you could do for a pulp adventure is, is have the strongest, most interesting villain in the world. And remember, villains don't think they're bad; right. they perfectly they feel perfectly justified in whatever it is they're trying to do. Right. Yeah. Well, 
said one time a little bit ago. Thank you for coming. Uh, and Thanks, Vito is the perfect example. The villain is never the villain in his own story. Exactly. And and if you can design the villain's story even first, like you know what he wants and what he wants to do, then it's great because if, if the players like your villain, man, that's because then they then they're then they're in. They that's bought the, it. That's you could almost do anything at that point. So but, that, yeah, that brings us to the end. You've wasted another perfectly good hour. Uh, We're happy to have you here. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links found on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again, and keep gaming.